You know, and I'm always caught off guard. I mean, I, you know, obviously I know it's coming every year. I get it. But, you know, you go into the stores and it's barely July and they've got Halloween costumes. And then next thing you know, it's Christmas stuff already. And we haven't had Thanksgiving yet. And, and I feel like Thanksgiving kind of gets skipped a little bit. And maybe because you can't sell a lot of stuff for that. I get it. I do get it. But how many went uh, Black Friday shopping? Anybody? See a few hands. Okay. Not that many. All right. All right. Uh, <clears throat> so have you already decided who you're doing Christmas with? How many you're doing? How many do more than one Christmas? Like you visit both families. How many do that? Quite a few. How many do three uh, Christmases? How many do four? <laughs> there's still hands going up. That's awesome. How many do five? Okay. Well, there's one hand up still. Okay. Well, that's six. Anybody do six? Really? Oh, my goodness. Do you get presents every time? No? Okay. Do you give presents every time? Oh, wow, okay. Well, anyway, that's cool. I mean, I know that we're headed on to, to Christmas. Before we do that, though, I, I just, I wasn't done with Thanksgiving. I just wasn't done. And I feel like we're in a culture today where we've almost forgot what Thanksgiving was or what it means or who we're actually thanking or what the day is about. And, and I, you know, I paid attention in history. I got good grades and I, you know, I kind of remembered a lot of the story of Thanksgiving and so this last week, I just looked up and did a lot of research, and what I, what I did, I've never done before. I actually went back through, and I started reading some of William Bradford's actual diaries. Have you guys ever done that? They're kind of hard to read, because he's speaking in English from the 1600s, but as you read it, it's really interesting to see his perspective on how things all happened, and I don't know if you're familiar with some of this story, but you know, they signed the, you know, they were pilgrims, they were actually... Uh, Dutch at the time. A lot, of, a lot of times we think of them as English, but they, they weren't really. What they were trying to do is, is be able to worship in the way they wanted to worship. And um, as they came, uh, they signed what's called the Mayflower Flower Compact. Are you guys familiar with that? It, it's basically like a commune. If you, if you read it, it, the idea was that nobody would have anything. We would share everything. So nobody had property. Everybody got an equal share. The problem was that Bradford documents is that people eventually they stopped working because they didn't have a share like their hard work didn't actually have an outcome there was no incentive for them to work harder so they lost half the people that first year it was such a hard winter in fact they stayed out on the ship for for part of that time but then they decided okay this compact thing isn't working right so in his diaries he he says this Every family then was assigned his own plot of land to work and permitted to market its own crops and products. And what was the result? He says, for it made all the hands industrious so that much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been. And then in the end, they were able to pay back all of their their, uh, uh, creditors, their investors who sent them there. And something else I thought that was interesting is, um, you know, we're all familiar with the whole turkey deal because that's an American thing. But they also, of course, I didn't know this, that the day, like the, the celebration for Thanksgiving, they got together with some of the Indians and went and shot guns together. Then they went out on a hunt and were successful, brought back venison for the meal. But they also had lobster, seal, and swan. Didn't know about that. And it was all about thanks God, Thanksgiving to God for them surviving and making it. And then another thing. I don't know that I've ever heard George Washington's proclamation for Thanksgiving until maybe a couple years ago, I think is the first time I heard it. And I, I wasn't even aware that he had done this. And, and as I was thinking about it even more, I was wondering, man, our country has changed in so many ways over the centuries, two, two centuries. 
But I wanted to read to you his actual Thanksgiving proclamation from 1789. This says, by the President of the United States, a proclamation. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, to, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all, get this, all the good that was, that is, or that will be that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation and for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable uh, interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war and for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty that we now have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been established to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted, for the civil and religious liberty that which we are blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general all the great and various favors which he has pleased to confer upon us. I mean, it's so amazing how he just keeps praising God. And also that we may unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to enable us all, whether in private or public stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such have shown kindness unto us, and bless them with good government, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, to increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Given under my hand at the city of New York, the third day of October, in the year of our Lord, 1789. It's amazing. So that's George Washington, 1789. But what's the basis of our Thanksgiving today? I mean, what, what makes you thankful today? What, what undergirds all of that? As I was studying and thinking about what, what to do for this day and thinking about Thanksgiving, what, the portion of Scripture at first, you might think, wow, that doesn't sound like Thanksgiving, but it is. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of, of Colossians. And in this book, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. This is one of four letters they call the prison letters because he wrote these letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, from prison. And he writes it to a church that he didn't actually start. It says in Colossians 1.7 that Epaphras started this church. And then Epaphras came, who was somebody who Paul trained, came back and told Paul about the church. So Paul wrote this letter to this church. And he says this. By the way, Colossae was was in Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. It would have been a Greek, very Greek area. So not, not Hebrew, not Christian, not Jewish, very Greek. He says this. Since you have been raised to new life in Christ, 
Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. It's kind of reminiscent of what we saw with baptism a minute ago. What he's basically telling the people is, you, you were lowered in, in death symbolically under that water to your old life, and you've raised up and you're living a new life now. And he says to set your sights on that. I don't know if you've ever done this. If you guys ever been out, like maybe hiking and there's no trail, or maybe you've been on the water and you're just trying to find a place. Have you noticed that if you don't keep your eye set on something, you kind of veer away? But however, if you keep your eyes set, the more you set your eyes, the more directly you're going to go to that path. And that's what Paul is saying here. Set your sights. What you aim for, you're going to more likely hit that. Keep it that. And he actually says, if if you look in the Greek, it says, habitually focus on heaven. What he's saying there is constantly be thinking about the next life, not just this life. It's about perspective. It's so easy in life to be burdened down with what we see around us or disappointed in, in things that maybe haven't turned out the way we wanted or, or perhaps we haven't gotten as much in the year or whatever. But the fact is, what he is saying is it's not just about here, it's also about there. And focus your life on Christ and the heaven that is promised to us. Think about that. Your real life, he says, is hidden with Christ. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times, you know, you first meet somebody and, and you kind of get through the pleasantries and you find out about the, the superficial things. And it's kind of like Shrek, kind of like the onion thing. We have layers, right? And you don't always tell everybody the deepest part of who you are until you trust them with those outer layers. And then you get to know more and more and more. And what he's saying is the deepest part of who you are should be Jesus Christ. That that is the part that's the real you, that's deep within you, that animates everything. Then he says this, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. He got really dark there, didn't he? Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking. Here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of James where James says, don't blame God when we sin. Instead, realize that we are drawn away when we are, we are given to our own lusts that are within us and we're drawn away and we're given to sin. The fact is that all of us have this internal battle going on to, to live like the old us or live like the Jesus us. There's a difference and there's a battle that continually wages and we're torn inside like, do we want to go do this or do this? And left to our own, we always choose the worst because that's who we are as humans. That's, that's just how it works. And it, it's kind of... Well, it's kind of sinister to think about it lurking within us. But that's why Paul says, put it to death. And he says, when you put it to death, it takes the power away. Again, the symbolism of baptism where we die to our old life. We're dead. That's dead to us. That's not who we are anymore. It also reminds me of this. And maybe you've noticed this, that what you feed grows. The part of your life that you feed grows. You thought I was talking about Thanksgiving, huh? Again. (laughs) Somebody said to me, happy 10 pounds day. And I said, what? And they're like, well, Thanksgiving, usually put on 10 pounds. I'm like, oh my goodness, I hope not. But I guess it's true for our physical bodies. It's true for your spiritual body as well. What you feed grows. The more you feed your spirit, the more that grows. The more you feed, feed the, the, the sinful part of us that lurks within us, the more you feed that, that's what grows. The truth is, God has given us all these good things, and you choose what you feed, and then that determines what grows. You know, you've heard the old saying that grass is greener on the other side of the fence. 
I've heard a few other renditions of that. One of them is, the grass is greener that gets watered. Have you heard that? It's true. You take care of that grass, it grows. You take care of your spirit, it's what grows. If you want a closer relationship with God, feed that part of who you are, and that's what grows. The truth is, whatever you feed does grow. And what he's saying here is put to death the sinful, earthly part that lurks within us. Then he gives some detail about that. He says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Kind of an interesting list there, isn't it? Paul's famous for lists. If you read his letters, he, he, he puts lists together. And it's tempting for us in our 21st century mind, you know, we're used to an encyclopedia that will list everything. He doesn't do that. He just gives examples. And in his lists, he's got this list right here, and he, he, he mentions sexual immorality. Some people don't understand what he means by that. What he meant by that is any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's, that's what the Jews would have understood by what he meant. That's what he meant. When he goes on, he talks about this progression. And again, what you feed grows. And he kind of gives this whole idea here. He says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Those are the things that draw us away. And as you feed those things, those are the things that are going to have the strength and determine your life. On the other hand, what he's saying is to put those things to death. Then he talks about greed and being an idolater. The idea that you would put other things in front of God, you would have something that would be of a greater importance to you than your relationship with God. Now, we don't live in a world, per se, that has idols, but we do, right? Whether that's a thing, a car, or a house, or a person, or something you put in front of God, maybe it's something you give more attention to than you should. You think about where you spend your time and where you put your effort, it can be pretty easy to see what's important to you. And if one of those things is more important than your relationship with God, then you've made it an idol. And that was dark, but it gets darker. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. He's got this theme he keeps going back to. This is how you were. This is how you should be. Put this part to death, live for this. He says right here, this is the things you did when you're part of the world. But he says, because of that, the anger is coming. thing I think about is we all sin. All of us are bent towards sin. And it's different for everybody. It's difficult even to judge, really, if you think about it, because we're all different. We all have different proclivities, different things that draw us you know, out of our relationship with Christ. It's different for everybody. The idea here is, he's saying, because of these things, these are what your life used to be. But now is the time to get rid of anger. Again, lists anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Do you see it again? Don't do all that. That's not who you were. And he uses this imagery of clothing. He says, you've stripped all of that off. Now that doesn't belong to you anymore. And then he says, instead, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. You know what I love about this verse? In, in the original language where it says be renewed, that's be continuously renewed. A lot of times it's hard to see those verbs in English because as we read it, it just says be renewed. And we think of it as a one-time thing, like maybe when you got saved. Or maybe, maybe you hadn't been walking with Christ and then you decided to come back to him and then you were renewed. That's not actually the verb. The verb is something that starts in the past and then continues on into the future. So it would be more accurate to say, be continually renewed, because that's what we all need. 
The fact is, none of us walk perfect all the time because none of us can. Instead, we need to be continually renewed. We need to continually put off the old things and then put on Christ. We need to continually, as those things lurk within us and we recognize them, get rid of them, take them off, and then put on Christ like a new garment, something that is clean and pure. It's interesting, though. What you feed grows. What you put time into, that's what ends up coming out. And in this new life, it doesn't matter. This, this part of the scripture just gives, it makes me excited to even read this. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile. What's that about? He's talking about ethnicities, right? He's just pointing out the most obvious ones. And it was easy for them. They didn't have to pick out every kind of ethnicity. They basically said Jew and everyone else. Circumcised or uncircumcised, what's that about? That's about your, your spiritual practices because for the Jew, being circumcised was a point of pride. They felt like they were better than every other person. Every other religious person was okay but not good enough because you hadn't gone to the degree of commitment that they had gone to. And conversely, if you were uncircumcised, most of the people looked down on those who were. They didn't respect the Jews and they looked down on them as quirky and weird And he goes on and he says, barbaric, uncivilized. In the Greek, it actually says barbarians and Scythians. Scythian was an actual people group. It was a tribe that was actually north of where these people were. And basically, you could look at it like this. There's barbarians that are uncivilized. They're not just quite not as, you know, with it as us. And then there are worse than that. Even more uncivilized would have been the, the Scythians. And then he ends it with slave or free, talking about different classes Different castes, if you will. I split it all up so it may not have flowed for you. Did you catch what he said? In this new life? Remember, the old life had all that other stuff. The old life is where you judged people for those different things and separated each other out and said, you weren't as good as me or I'm better than you because I'm not like that because I don't worship like you did or I don't look the same as you or I have this ethnicity or that. Or I have these religious practices. He says, that's the old you knew. But in the new life, he says, in the new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile or circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. <laughs> you know what I love about this? I love about it because there's no division at all. We're all in Christ and he's in all of us. What I love about this is basically what he's saying is, if, if you in some way are at, judge somebody with, with ethnic issues, if you in some way are racist, then you are being racist to Jesus himself because he's in all of us. And that's the old life. The new life is not like that. The new life is not prideful about our religious position because Jesus is in all of us. The new life is, doesn't look down on other people because they don't have the same, maybe the, the, the wealth or the same position in life. And that goes vice versa. If you do not have it, you don't look down on the people who do. There's an equality there because Christ is in all. That's where the equality is. It's not on the outcome. It's on who's inside of us. There's a huge difference there. And because of that, as Christians, we put off all of that thing, judging people by the outside appearances, judging people by the bank account, judging people by any of those things. Instead, we're all the same. Because Jesus is in all of us, and that's what matters. And then he says this in verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, wait a minute, do you ever struggle with that? I don't feel very holy. He's saying the same people he was talking about, they're holy. 
You know what I love about that? He just told them, put off all those sinful things. You might think he'd say, you're not holy until you do put all those things off. In fact, I'm going to check and make sure you put them all in this box and we'll get rid of it. Mm, That's not how it works. Remember, because it's a continual thing. The fact is we're continually putting off those old things in our old self. We're continually clothing ourselves with Christ, becoming new. And when that happens, we are, we are judged holy, not because of our works, but because he has made us holy and he chose us to be holy. And he uses that same imagery again and he says, you must clothe yourselves, so you're putting on a whole new garment, with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's what you put on. And then he says this, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Did I read that right? Forgive the people who like me and forgive me back. Forgive the people who <laughs> are perfect. No, anyone who offends you. Man, it's so easy to be offended in our world today. Everybody's offended at everything. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You must forgive others. You know what he's saying here? The Lord forgave you. I'm going to reword this a little bit. Don't be offended. You must forgive others. Who are you to think that you couldn't forgive because Jesus forgave you? Who do you think you are that you could hold someone accountable when Jesus himself forgave you? Oh, my goodness. Above all, he uses the clothe thing again. Clothe yourselves with love. That word love right there is the agape love, the selfless love, the love that puts the other person first, the, other, the, the kind of love that doesn't demand anything or expect anything or withhold anything, instead gives regardless of what's given back. Clothe yourselves with selfless love, which binds all together in perfect harmony. You know what he's, the picture is he's using there when he says bind? I want you to think about this. He was talking to a mainly Greek audience. So you remember what they wore, right? Sadly, all we can think of is maybe frat parties, right, where they wear a toga. But imagine clothing yourselves like that. You're now clothing yourselves with love and humility and forgiveness. And then what would they do? They would put a belt on. So when he says to bind it, he's talking about a belt. The belt that holds all of those new clothes, that new outfit together. I laugh at myself even thinking about an outfit. Hey, that works. That, your outfit works. It's good. When you pull it all together, that belt that pulls it all together is love. Love. Love is the thing that holds it all together. He says, let the peace that comes from Christ Rule in your hearts for members of one body. You're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Man, he's put a lot of imagery together. You talk about mixed metaphors. He talked about dying to all the old things. He talked about putting them off like clothes, putting on the new things like Christ as clothes and binding them together like love. Then he says, we're one body. We're supposed to be one. He says, in the old way, you had all these divisions on race and ethnicity and, and class and religion. But no, no longer. Christ is in all of us now. And because of that, we can put on this new life and we hold it all together with love. One body, one body. And then peace that comes from Christ will rule. That's why you're thankful. 
I know someone here was thinking, wait a minute. He was talking about Thanksgiving. Where is it? It's right there. That's the whole point of this entire passage. Because of that, we are thankful. We're thankful because we no longer have to live in a world that judges people like that. We don't have to live in a world that is constantly confronted with, with not, not only do we judge or we are judged. No longer is it like that because we don't have to carry that load anymore. We have peace with him because of that. And because of that, we are thankful. Pastor Nick, if you could join me. Then he gives us a job to do. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. The picture he's giving here is that that message of Christ would fill you in such a way that nothing else would come out except for him. You know what it's like, right? Have you ever overfilled something? A cup or a pot or hopefully that didn't happen with your gravy boat. But you've done it, right? And it just kind of flows out. It's not what you intended, but it just comes out that way. I saw a lot of memes and saw things, you know, people talking about, let's not talk about politics or, you know, religion at the holiday. But what if all that came out was Christ? What if all that came out of us were, were those things he talked about, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and it was all tied together with love? What if that's the thing that, that it was overflowing us? And I remember Pastor Newby talking one time that we're so full of Christ that any time someone bumped us, a little would just spill out on them. That's what spilled out, because we are full of him to the brim. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. It's all about that. When you ask me what Thanksgiving is about, this is what it's about. It's about what Christ has done and how he's changed our lives so we don't live in that old way. We've dropped all that off like a, like a dirty garment and now we've put on a garment of love and peace and reconciliation, something that changes the entire world and that we're supposed to teach and sing and we represent him and we give thanks. You probably noticed that in the last three verses he talks about thanksgiving in, the very, each, in each of the last three verses there. Christ and the change he makes in us is the very thing that we are thankful for. That's it. Psalm 107.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. We know James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights in whom there's no shifting shadows or changes. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a minute here this morning. I ask people to do that just so we have a sense of privacy in a room full of people. And I don't know your individual lives. I know that, um, as I mentioned in prayer, that Thanksgiving had been difficult for some people that had talked to me. I know that. I know there's some people who are missing loved ones this time for the first holiday. It's very tough. I know there's some people walking through situations where it's difficult for them to be thankful. Maybe this morning you feel like, God, I forgot. I could be thankful for these things. Maybe you're here today, and as you've heard what we were talking about, some of those lists that Paul put together, you thought, I actually struggle with those things. And you felt convicted, and maybe the Holy Spirit has been whispering to you, you need to put those off like a dirty garment. Maybe 
those folks and maybe some of others, you realize, I don't feel like I really have the tender heart and mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience I need to have. I need to put that on. Maybe someone's here and you realize that you're walking in unforgiveness. There's somebody who's done something and they, let's be honest, they don't deserve forgiveness. But we as Christians are called to forgive anyway. Not because they deserve it, but because Christ forgave us. And as difficult as that is, you're confronted with that this morning and you know you need to forgive. If that fits any of you, I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray that God would change those things that he literally would come in and you would be continuously renewed. Wouldn't be a one-time thing, but it would be a daily thing. It would be a maybe hourly thing. That as you spend time with him, he would renew you from the inside out and make everything new. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ at all. Maybe you've known about him or known of him, but you couldn't do what the people that did being baptized today because you haven't given your life to him. But today you would consider doing that. If that is you, and you would like to turn your life to him today, just ask you to raise your hand, and I just want to pray with you as well. Anybody at all like that? All right, I'm going to pray for us. If you would stand with me as I pray. Father, we come before you as people who we want to put off of those old parts of who we are, those things that lurk within us. We don't want to be that. God, we want to put those off. We want to put on, continuously be renewed with you, with your character, with who you are. God, we want to be different in every day, our, our very thoughts, our words, our actions, our attitudes. God, we want people to see you and us, that we are so full of you that every time they encounter us, they, they see you. God, we want to be changed like that. Father, I pray for those of us who are struggling with forgiveness. You would help us to forgive, to completely forgive. I pray that you would help us to love selfishly, selflessly. God, that you would change us from the inside out. God, we give ourselves to you and we stand before you as grateful people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so here's your job today. As you leave this place, just like it said, you're supposed to teach, sing, and represent the Lord Jesus and give thanks. So God bless you as you leave today. I just, and you're welcome to sing on your way out. That's fine too. But uh, you can do those things. So teach and represent and give thanks. God bless you today.